And all God's people said, amen. I tell you what let's do. Let's speak the name of Jesus. Stand to your feet. Would you do that? We're going to say it three times. We're going to say it like we mean it. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus. 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 Father, we bless you today. We speak the name of Jesus. Thank you that in his name, every demon must bow. Every knee must bow. Every person, every heart must bow to the glory of God the Father. So thank you for your presence here this morning, Jesus. Thank you that you're here amongst us. Thank you that you've come. Speak to our hearts. Minister to us even now. Lord, we lift you up. We give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, choir. That's great. I love that song. Love that song. Great song. Take your Bibles. Psalm 85 and Psalm 80. Well, 80 and 85 will be our text for this morning. I'm not going to have you stand up because we're, I'm going to be reading some selected verses from that. Next Sunday, I will begin an eight-week series entitled, uh, it's our new mission statement, Making, Maturing, Multiplying Followers of Jesus Christ. It will be a study in discipleship. I want us to look at what the Bible teaches us about discipleship, what it means to be a disciple, and to make sure that we as a church are on task for making disciples, and we'll talk about that more in the days to come. But this morning, I just, uh, I was going to start the series today, but while I was away the last couple of weeks, the Lord just, he brought me back to what I had preached on a couple of Sundays before I left, and talked about, I was talking about what God was doing, what was happening in our world today, and uh, how our need is to, is to get back right with Him. And I just could not get away from that this morning. So the Lord brought me back to this. The title of the message is Revive Us, O Lord. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you up front, it's probably going to sound a little negative to start with. I don't do that intentionally. Um, I'm not negative. I think you'll see when we get to the end of it, it's going to be more on a positive note. But I do think the days in which we live in today require us to be very serious about what's happening and what it's going to take to get out of the mess we're in today. Like many of you, and I've, again, looked at some, just a number of things that I saw this past week and, and discussions and talking with folks, um, we're, we're in a mess. Our world is in a mess, isn't it? Our country is in a mess. Unfortunately, the church is in a mess. And the truth of the matter is, if something doesn't happen to change it in the very near future, our future is very, very, very bleak. That was the setting behind the Psalms that we're about to read. Psalm 85 and Psalm 80, uh, Israel was in a mess. In one hand, they were facing an unrelenting enemy that was wanting to destroy them. On the other hand, the country was filled with apathy and rebellion and disobedience to the Lord that they said that they were following and they were about to face the judgment of God. And here the psalmist cries out to the Lord. He's asking God to do something in their midst. I'm going to read just selected verses. You follow along with me. But I want you to listen at the heart of this psalmist as he cries out to the Lord concerning his land and concerning God's people. Psalm 80, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Listen, shepherd of Israel, who leads Joseph like a flock. 
You who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, awaken your power. Come to save us. God, restore us and make your face shine upon us and we will be saved. And by the way, the implication there is that's the only way we're going to be saved. Let me, let me read verse 3 of that out of the New Living Translation. It says this, show us your mighty power and come to rescue us. Boy, if there's ever been a time in our country we need God to rescue us, it's now. Psalm 80 verse 7, God of armies, restore us. Make your face shine upon us and we will be saved. Again, from the New Living Translation, it says, Turn us again to yourself, O God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. Psalm 80, verse 14, the psalmist says, God of armies, do turn back. Look down from heaven and see and take care of this vine. New Living Translation. Come back, we beg you, O God of heaven's armies. Look down from heaven and see our plight. Psalm 80, verse, last part of verse 18 down through verse 19. Revive us and we will call upon your name. Lord God of armies, restore us. Make your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. Once again, I read it from the New Living Translation. Revive us so that we can call on your name once more. Turn us again to yourself, O God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. Four times in this short psalm, the psalmist cries out to God. He cries out for God to save them, to revive them, to restore them, to rescue them. And the reason the psalmist cries out like he does four different times in the psalm was because he understood that God was their only hope. If God did not save, revive, restore, and rescue them, they were sunk. And he knew it. So he cries out to God in this psalm. Just a couple of psalms over, we move over to Psalm 85. The psalmist does basically the same thing. He cries out, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Lord, you showed us favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the guilt of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your fury. You turned away from your burning anger. And then he cries out, restore us, God of our salvation. And cause your indignation towards us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? And then he says this. Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us salvation. Will you not... Revive us again. That was the cry of the psalmist because he knew that was the only hope for Israel in that day and age. And folks, I've come to the place 
And I don't mean to be negative with this. I'm trying to be very realistic. But when you look across the landscape of our land today, I have come to believe that that is our only hope for today. God must revive and restore us or we are in serious trouble. Does America need revival? Oh boy, absolutely it needs revival. In fact, I told the early service this morning, I said, you know, in my, in my time of life and living on this earth, I, I do not remember I do not remember a time when this country was more divided than it is right now. And there seems to be no middle ground whatsoever. It, it just seems to be no hope. And it's getting worse all the time. Uh, does the church need reviving today? Though there are exceptions to this, when you look at the landscape of the church in America, the church is in a mess. Churches are in a mess. People have stopped going to church. Numbers have decreased in attendance in almost every denomination across the board. Preachers are quitting left and right. Churches are closing. It's mind-boggling the number of churches that are closing their doors. It's mind-boggling the number of pastors who are so frustrated with all that they have to deal with in ministry. They're just walking out. They're quitting. The church in America is in a mess. Absolutely the church needs reviving. Let's, let's make this a little more personal this morning. Does First Baptist Church of Noonan need reviving? Now, you know what? I'm excited to see what God's doing here. And I have to be honest with you. I think God's doing a work here. It's neat to see some of the things. Some of it we get to see from behind the scenes. And I do believe God is working. But folks... This church needs reviving. That's, that's really what we need. God needs, we need to allow God to stir us afresh and anew. We, we, don't, we don't need to be talking about what it used to be like. We need to be talking about what God's doing right now. We need to see his hand upon this church and working in powerful ways. We need to be revived. And again, folks, the truth of the matter is, if God does not revive us, if he does not revive this church, where will this church be 10 years, 20 years down the road? We may well be in a mess just like many other churches. Let, let's, let's make this even more personal. Do you need reviving? Do you know why the church needs reviving? Because church members aren't living in revival. Amen or me? You know why America needs reviving? Because churches aren't living in revival. You, you can't point the finger any farther than yourself. Do you need reviving? By the way, I almost blew out my voice in the first service. So if it just goes, will y'all stand up and sing that song again you just sang? Would y'all please do that? We need revival, folks. I need revival. You need revival. And when God restores us, hey, if you're not walking with Jesus like you once walked, if you're not excited about living for Jesus, if you're not serving him faithfully, boy, so many in the church, they, they just go through the motions of religion. They come to church because that's what they've always done. 
It's just expected. They, they, they don't come because they're excited about joining with the saints of God to worship the Savior. It's old hat to them. There's no joy. There's no excitement. There's no desire to serve Jesus. And then we wonder why our churches are in such a mess. We need reviving. How will revival start in America? Here's the answer. When God's people get right with him and start living fully for him, that's when it will start. Well, preacher, I thought it's when them heathens out there get right with God. That's when revival's coming. Well, I grant it, the heathens need to get right. And I also have found and seen over the years, folks, when the church gets right, the heathens start to get right. One of the reasons the heathens don't get right is because they look at the church and they don't see any difference in the church and the rest of the world. They don't want what we got. When we get right, it makes a difference. God spells that out for us, 2 Chronicles 7.14. You know this verse. If my people, God's people, not the heathen, if my people who call or call by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then, and only then, by the way, will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now, I want to be absolutely clear on this. Revival is a sovereign work of God. But God has also made it clear in his word that when his people respond to him in certain ways, he will revive. Though revival is a sovereign work of almighty God, it really starts with us, not the heathen out there. Revival starts with God's people. How will revival start in the church? It starts when God's people get right with God and start living under his lordship and his rulership. That's when it will happen. I mean, my goodness. And, and, and I know this is true here, but it's not just true at First Baptist and It's true most churches I know of. I asked Claire this morning if, how many members we have in this church. I think we have on rolls, weirdly, uh, 2,500 or so, somewhere in that neighborhood, 2,000, um, that claim to be members of this church. On a good Sunday, what do we run? Five, 600 people maybe? And I realize we have some folks who, who just can't be here that would love to be here. They just can't. And their heart's here, but they, they can't be here physically. And I do realize on any given Sunday, there are some people who are out of town and obviously could not be here. But we, we, got, we got hundreds of people that haven't put foot down in this church in years. We, we've got many people who come once every three or four months. And you ask them, are you a regular church attender? Oh, yeah. I go to church regularly, about three times a year. I'm regular. And then we wonder why the church is in such a mess. Christians can't even go to church. They claim to love Jesus. They say they believe in the Savior. And then, then we have a host of people who do go to church. 
That when they walk out the doors of the church, they act just like the world. They talk just like the world. They, they follow the world. And there's no difference in their life. And then we wonder why our churches are in such a mess. And then we wonder why our country is in such a mess. We need revival, folks. Listen to me. Revival in America will not come until the church experiences revival, and the church will not experience revival until its members experience revival and starts living for Jesus. Amen? Now, some of you didn't say amen there because you can't. And that's, that's why we're struggling today. This is where we are. This is why we need to cry out as the psalmist cried out, Oh, Lord, will you not revive us again? Uh, a few weeks ago, Robin made me do something I didn't want to do. We had a mess in our garage. We moved four years ago to the house that we're living in, and we downsized. In fact, we downsized almost in half. We thought we had thrown out a lot of junk and got rid of a lot of stuff, but obviously not enough. And our garage had gotten so full you couldn't put a car hardly in there. So after Christmas, putting up Christmas decorations, guess what? Let's do something with the garage. So we went through everything to see if it was more that we could throw out. Now, when I, when I packed up full-time ministry for the last three churches I served over a 30-year process, I had, at all those churches, I had a large office, and I had a huge study where I had massive books. I mean, massive books. And all of a sudden, I wasn't going to have a study, and I wasn't going to have an office, and I had to move all of my stuff into a 10 by 10 room with also my man cave stuff. Uh, I thought I threw out a lot then, but as I was getting rid of stuff or giving stuff away, I kept finding these things. Now, I think I will save that. I might need that somewhere down the road. You ever done that? And I bought a whole bunch of those black tubs with yellow tops, and I stuck it in there thinking, I'll remember that one day, and I'll find it, and I'll use it again. And Robin reminded me the other day that if you ain't needed that in four years, you ain't going to need it from here on out. Get rid of it. Amen? Uh, we're going to see marriage counselor now, uh, by the way. <laughs> it's not funny. What? What, when, I, um, when I was going through one of my, all, those black boxes with a yellow top, I came, I came across a, uh, it was really a brochure, a track, four pages of, uh, of an article that I had read a long time ago that God just used to speak to me. And it was, it was about personal revival. It was written by a man by the name of Jim Elliff. He wrote it in 1992. That name may sound familiar. Jim Elliff does a lot of work with Life Action Ministries. His brother Tom, I believe, was head of the International Mission Board for a number of years. I think I'm correct in that. But I saw that article that I had stuck over along with stuff I thought I might use later. And uh, I just picked it up and I started to read it again. 
And I have to be honest with you. I got real convicted. Because in that article, he shared five, he called them resolves, that lead to personal revival. And if you really want to be living in a state of revival, where God can use you to make a difference, and where you know his presence and know his power, you know his provision, you can walk with him, you know the reality of him in a powerful way. These are things that got to be true in your life. And I read that. Again, God spoke to my heart. And I said, I've just got to share that's part of what I'm doing, what I'm doing this morning. Um, I, know, I know that First Baptist Church of, of um, Noonan, y'all are, y'all are looking for a pastor. Um, y'all been looking for a pastor. Y'all might still be looking for a pastor for a while to come. You're stuck right now with me. My job, hopefully, is to help get you ready for your next pastor. Let, let, me, let me tell you one, one major mistake I hear. And I understand it. I understand why. Everybody, boy, when we, when we get our new pastor, things are going to be different. But when we get that right man, he's going to come in here and lead us. And we're going to see the church take off again. I hope so. But listen to me, people. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I want you to listen to me. You could bring the best pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention to this church. But if he does not come to a church whose members are on fire for Jesus, you won't see anything accomplished for the kingdom of God. Yes, you need a pastor to lead you. And I'm sure when he comes, he'll bring in some fresh ideas, some fresh ministry, some new direction, some vision that needs to come from a senior pastor. But if you're not walking with Jesus, if you're not excited about serving him, if you're not growing in your faith, if you're not involved in ministry, You're going to find yourself in a mess five, ten years down the road. And it won't be because the pastor didn't do his job necessarily. It might be because you're not doing yours. So let me ask you this morning. How did you walk with Jesus? Are you on fire for Christ? Are you ready to go with the gospel? You ready to serve? Are you ready to allow God to transform you? Are you willing to pray, Lord, revive me, restore me, so I can rejoice in you once again? Well, that's the introduction of my sermon this morning. Y'all ready for the message? I told y'all I hope you were comfortable this morning. I hadn't preached in, hadn't preached in four weeks. Here's the message. I got eight minutes. I'll give it to you. You see your outline. This is what Jim Elif wrote about what we need to do to make sure we are personally revived. Number one, and I will do this quickly, fellowship with God daily in prayer and his word if you want to be revived. You're going to have to learn to fellowship with him daily, walk with him day in, day out. None of us, none of us would think about only eating one meal a week, would we? Now, some of us could afford to do that for a little while. But if you only ate one meal a week, 
for a whole year, where would you be physically at the end of this year? You wouldn't be able to function, would you? You'd be so weak. You'd be sick. How many Christians don't ever fellowship with God in his word and spend time with him in prayer and seek his face? How many people do that? The only time they even think about God is when they come to church on Sunday and then they wonder why their faith is so weak. One of the things that radically changed my life is when I learned to fellowship with God and get in his word on a day-by-day basis, listening to him, praying to him, letting him speak to me out of his word. Thank God for church. This is meant to help reinforce all that God does with you in and out of the week. But if you're not walking with God day by day, I heard a pastor one, a man that I respected greatly, had a great impact in my life. Peter Lord once talked about as a pastor. The only time he read his Bible was when he was preparing sermons. And how God spoke to him, convicted him deeply about, no, you need to spend time to feed your own soul. Get with me day in and day out in prayer and in the Word and allow me to change your life. And I listened to that man talk about how God radically transformed him. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful through whom you've been called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. And you can't just do that once every other week or so. It's a day-by-day walk. Learn to spend time with him. Watch him transform your life. Secondly, you must repent of every known sin. As a believer, there are times that we sin. And yes, our sins are already forgiven on the cross. Our sins have been put on the cross, been nailed to the cross. Past sin, present sin, future sin, all forgiven. But still, as a believer, if I sin and I don't deal with it like God says to deal with it, it doesn't break my relationship with God. It breaks my fellowship. And if my fellowship with God is not right, I can't walk with him to understand his work in my heart and life. I need his anointing. I need his blessing. I need his grace. I need his touch. And if I've got those things in my life that I've not dealt with properly, that fellowship's broken. No way I'd walk with him. John says we must walk in the light as he himself is in the light. He leads into the whole matter about confessing our sin. Thirdly, this morning, if I'm going to have God revive me, I must forsake all questionable practices. Now, I probably ought to stay on this one for a long time. We've lost this in our world today. But questionable practices are those things in the Christian life that maybe the Word of God doesn't speak directly about, but they're things that can bog us down. And there are a lot of things out there in life that I have to learn to discern, to put away if I'm going to walk with God in a powerful manner. And they might not be bad things. You want me to give you one? Have you you noticed how people use this nowadays? Don't ever look up. We're stuck in the, nothing wrong with this. Hey, thank, thank goodness, but this is my brain. You understand this? 
I'm grateful for this. This is a great tool. Used rightly, it's, I think it's transforming. But used wrongly, you come to church to worship. I know none of you would do this. But you come to church and you're singing a worship song and all of a sudden you get a text. What do you do? You're listening to a message. You get an email. You're not fellowshipping with God. You've allowed this to break your train of thought, interrupt your worship. You're spending time with God in prayer, and you don't turn this off. You stop praying to Almighty God, let me see who's texting me. I got news for you folks. There is nobody any more important than God. We can allow things to so get in our way that it keeps God from being able to stir us, revive us, restore us if we're not careful. While this can be a blessing, it can also be a curse. Fourthly, this morning, if we're going to have and experience God's reviving work, we need to make sure that we make right any wrongs between yourself and others. I'll simply say this, you can't be right with God and wrong with your fellow man. You cannot walk right with God if you're wrong with your wife, your husband, your father, your mother, your children, your grandparent, your neighbor, your employer, your employee. Well, you don't know what they've done to me, preacher. It makes no difference. It makes no difference. The greatest proof that I'm right vertically with Almighty God is I'm right with those around me. And if I'm not right with those around me, it's only evident that I'm not right with God. I have seen churches split because people wouldn't forgive one another. I have seen churches close their doors because people got angry with one another. People who claim to be Christian claimed another love of Jesus and can't forgive their brother. If you want to get right with God, you got to get right with your brother. And only then is God free to work. And you're like, look at the verses I put under the, under the text this morning. You go back and read them and see what God says to you. Here's the last thing, and I'm pray, we're praying this morning. If you want to know God's reviving work in your life, trust God to use you to make himself known in your daily life. Trust God to use you as you find ways to make him known in your daily life. In other words, I've said this a number of times. I, I do this tongue-in-cheek. I hope you think it's funny. I know some of you don't think it's funny, but I'm trying to make a point. You need to get off your blessed assurance and start serving because you've got blessed assurance. That's what I'm trying to say. And you know what's an amazing thing? When you start serving Jesus, you get involved in ministry. All of a sudden, a lot of the other things in life are no longer all that important. 
I've noticed in churches, those who are most faithful in serving, you seldom have them fuss, complain, gripe, or gossip because they're too busy serving. They're excited about what God's doing through them. Do you know who the most, the greatest troublemakers are in the church? You know who gripes and complains and fusses the most? It's the people who do the least. You want God to transform this church? Get active. Find your place of ministry. Use the gifts that God's given you. Serve him, even without being asked. See it transform your life. When I was pastoring Northside Baptist Church in Valdosta, we saw that church triple in size in a matter of just a few years. Almost every week we were baptizing people. Very seldom was somebody not joining that church. It was one of the most exciting times of ministry I've ever been involved in. And people would come from all over South Central Georgia to Northside Baptist Church because of what God was doing there in that church. Can I tell you why God was doing what he was doing in that church? It wasn't because of me. Oh, Lord, I know that. I had very little to do with it. I just had the privilege of standing before that group and preaching God's Word to them every week. And they got excited about God's Word. But it wasn't because of this preacher. It wasn't because of my staff. I had a great staff. And they, were, they did a super job. They were excellent in what they did. But that church did not take off because of a great staff. That church took off because we had hundreds of people who got excited about serving Jesus and you couldn't give them enough to do. God restored that church. God revived that church. And his name was made known. Oh Lord, will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us salvation. And that's our only hope. It starts with you. It starts with you. It starts with you. It starts with me. Amen? Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that, Lord, this message will be received in the manner in which it was intended. Lord, revive us. Revive me. Lord, you've spoken to my heart this past week. Just ways I've become spiritually lazy and some of the disciplines that I know I need to be participating in. Lord, it's so easy to make excuses about things, but the truth of the matter is we just need you to revive us. Stir our hearts. Restore us. Well, God, I pray you'll do that for this church. I'm really excited about what you're doing in this church. I'm excited about the future for this church. But Lord, it won't happen if this church doesn't get on fire for you. They don't get excited about the things of God. They don't allow you to stir their hearts. 
Oh, God, I pray you'll do that even beginning this morning. Boy, if you're here today, you've never been saved. Not a better time, better place for you to come and give your heart to Jesus. We had a young, young boy this morning come to make his public profession of faith in Jesus. You can do that today if you've never been saved. You've never given your heart and your life to Christ. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. You come and give your life to Jesus. As soon as we stand and sing in a minute, I'm going to be standing down front to greet you. As we're singing, would you step out from where you're standing, make your way down in front, take me by the hand. All you need to say is, Brother Ken, I need to give my heart, my life to Jesus. We'll have one of our staff members take you out in the back for a moment and there share with you from God's Word how you can get saved and how you can give your life to Christ. Would you do that? And then Christian, all of us, what about you? Are you walking in revival? Are you excited about what God's doing in your life? Are you letting him rule and reign in you? Are you serving him? Are you walking with him? If not, repent. Return. Get your heart right today. Lord, that's my prayer in Jesus' name.